Well, first of all, I'd like you to all know that you failed the test when your pastor does something really silly and puts on a green chasuble when everything else is red and has to go change during the hymn of the day. You're supposed to tell him that before the service starts, not let him realize it like a goofball in the middle, but that's okay. Today we celebrate St. James of Jerusalem. He's one of three Jameses in the Bibles. There's the two apostles, James the Elder and James the Less. Today we have James of Jerusalem, James the Just, sometimes called brother of Jesus, grew up in the same house with Jesus, and also martyr. There are bad reasons to celebrate saints. You could be like the Roman Catholics and pray to them instead of praying to your true intercessor, Jesus Christ. Or you could be like the Eastern Orthodox and you could take the picture of the icon on the front of your bulletin and kiss it. And I would look at you rather funny because you would think it would get you closer to heaven. I don't think any of you think those things. Those would be bad reasons to talk about and to celebrate saints. But there are good reasons to celebrate saints, reasons why we celebrate saints here in this church Our Lutheran fathers wrote in the Book of Concord in our Lutheran Confessions as a right exposition of Scripture that there are three reasons to celebrate saints. One is thanksgiving for the work that God did through those saints on earth in time in history, like the work that James did in the church at Jerusalem or at the Jerusalem Council recorded in Acts 15, which we read. There's also the strengthening of faith that we see how God forgave their sins, how God worked through them, and then how we can see how God does the same thing in us, and finally, imitation, that we would see the good works that they did on earth and that we would imitate them in our own lives. And I want to focus on those last two with James of Jerusalem today, the strengthening of the faith and the imitation of his good works. Because when you look at James of Jerusalem and you look at the scope of his whole life in the Bible, I think you will see that the story of James is your story, too. We'll start with James's difficulty to hear. His difficulty to hear. In Matthew chapter 13, our gospel reading for today, you can see that James has a difficulty in hearing Jesus. James grew up with Jesus. He grew up in his own house. He is called his brother. There have been debates throughout church history about whether that means real physical brother or maybe a brother of the household, a cousin or something. It doesn't really matter to me what you think about that. I don't have a strong stance on the perpetual virginity of Mary like the Roman Catholics do. We already talked about them once. That doesn't really matter to me. But he did grow up in the same house with Jesus. And whenever you grow up in the same house with someone, you know that preaching to them, telling them about the gospel, having deep conversations with someone in your own house, that can actually actually be, surprisingly, some of the more difficult conversations to have. You would think that if you were in the same house with someone, and you are close to someone as close as family, that it would be easy to have deeper, more meaningful conversations with them. But sometimes it's too close that it's uncomfortable. 
Jesus says this kind of general truth, this proverb, whenever he goes to his own hometown and the people start to question him. Where did he get these mighty works? Isn't this the one who grew up in the house of Joseph the carpenter? Aren't his brothers James and Judas? Where did he get off on telling us how to live and what to do? And where did he get off on figuring out how to do these miracles and mighty works? They took offense at him. And Jesus says this kind of proverb, this general truth, a prophet, this is verse 57, a prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown and in his own household. It is hard to believe a prophet when they come to you if you grew up with them, if you knew their foibles, if you knew their meekness. And remember, Jesus was a meek person. He was a lowly person. He did not look strong to the world. They knew that he was a meek, lowly character, and he comes to them proclaiming to them great and mighty things, and they simply can't accept it. And you know this is the case if you are in a family, if you're close with family members, and you try and talk to them, whether it's an unbelieving spouse or if it's a child who used to come to church but no longer does, and they are grown now, even though you are close to them because you are their parent, it is difficult to have gospel conversations with them because they know you precisely because they know you so well. This is a general truth about the nature of knowing someone very well. When I was a vicar out in Pennsylvania, my year-long internship to learn how to be a full-time pastor, some members of the vicarage congregation asked me, would you consider coming back here to be our pastor? They knew that the current pastor was going to take a call and, and leave at the time, and they asked, would you take the call to come back here? And I said, absolutely not. Why? Because I would always just be that vicar. I would always be the young guy. I would always be the little vicar with the little office in the corner. It's a general truth that once you know someone well enough, it can be hard to discuss very meaningful, deep things with them. Even Jesus gets discouraged by this. Verse 58, he didn't do as many mighty works there because of their unbelief. He still preached to them. He still preached in the synagogue of his hometown. But he didn't do as many mighty works there because it simply wasn't as effective. He was a little bit discouraged. And you can also see it from James' perspective, from his brother who rejected him at the time. You can see from the other side of that that it is hard to find fresh life. It is hard to find new truth. It is hard to find new preaching in the places closest to home. If you had grown up with Jesus, think about it this way, if you've grown up with Jesus, if you've grown up, that is to say, in the church, one of the biggest temptations can be to a sort of lukewarmness about all of this. You know the church. You know its foibles. You know the people in it and the kinds of things that the people in the church do that annoy you or the kinds of things that the people in the church do that give you joy, but you know them all really well. 
You know that if you come to church on Sunday, you're going to hear the same types of things over and over again. You know what the routine is like. And so it can be hard when you grow up around Jesus, when you grow up with Jesus. Let's say when you grow up in the church, it can be hard to find fresh life in the gospel. It can be tempting to start to just kind of do it all as a routine and take the magnificence of the gospel, the forgiveness of sins for life and salvation, to take that for granted as something that just happens on a weekly basis. You get up, you put on the church clothes, you come to church, and you don't really think about it all. You can see how that is true from the other side as well. James had a difficulty in hearing. Sometimes we all have difficulties in hearing Jesus, and sometimes Jesus has a difficulty in preaching, and we have a difficulty in witnessing whenever things are just too close together. You can also see this in John chapter 7, which also would have been a good gospel reading for today, when the brothers of Jesus, including James, specifically reject him. They say, this Jesus, not the Messiah. If he was the Messiah, he would do something better than he's doing. This is not the guy. He had a difficulty hearing. In fact, he had unbelief. But he goes from that difficulty in hearing and from that unbelief to an amazing belief. When you start to track this James of Jerusalem in the Bible, a couple things happen. First in 1 Corinthians 15... 1 Corinthians 15, it says Jesus appeared, talking about his resurrection. After he was raised from the dead, he appeared to James, to the apostles, and then to over 500 witnesses. I like to think, we don't know for sure, but I like to think that the James reference there in 1 Corinthians 15, I think it's verse 7, is this James. That Jesus made a point of going to the James, his own brother, who rejected him after he was raised from the dead and appearing to him and showing him his wounds, showing him his alive body risen from the dead. He appeared to James. And then, we don't exactly know how this all happens, but in Galatians 2... And also in Acts, which we're getting to, in Galatians 2, when Paul is talking about his ministry to the New Testament church, Paul refers to James of Jerusalem as one of the pillars of the New Testament church. So think about this. He goes from dejecting and rejecting Jesus in John 7 and Matthew 13 to being one of the pillars of the gospel in the New Testament. And then look at Acts 15. They're gathered together at the first council of the church to discuss one of the first problems in the church. Should Gentiles have to be circumcised? What is the nature of the Gentile mission that we're on? And who's the lead pastor at the church in Jerusalem, the center of the Jewish people? Who's the lead pastor? James of Jerusalem. That James, brother of Jesus, that James who thought that this man was not the Messiah, that James who thought he was too close to believe what he could hear and see from the Messiah, that James who rejected Jesus is now 
the leader of the Jerusalem church. And in Acts 15, at the Jerusalem council, who is it that gives the word that Gentiles do not need to be circumcised? Proving it from the Old Testament. Who is it that gives the word that the Gentile mission, the mission to all nations, must go forward from here? And that God loves all nations, that he loves all peoples and wants to bring them into himself. It's James. That's what we read in Acts 15 earlier. James' final word on the Gentile mission before they send out Paul with Barnabas and others to Antioch. It's James. James preaches. James gives the final word. James is a pillar of the church from a difficulty to hear, from unbelief to belief, to hearing, not only hearing, but preaching. And so, James believes. So two things with that. The words that Jesus preached when he went to his own hometown that even he was discouraged by the reaction to. Those words did not return void. Jesus' witness was powerful nonetheless. Isaiah 55, 10 through 11 says it this way, For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out of my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, worthless, in vain, but it shall accomplish that for which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God's word, his preaching, even to his brothers who reject him at first, did not return void. And so keep preaching. Whenever it comes to that unbelieving spouse or that child that's not in church anymore, Whenever it comes to the ones, the family and friends who are closest to you, who you have the hardest time having gospel conversations with, keep preaching, keep witnessing, talk about Jesus to them, even though it's difficult, even though they might not react well at first, because guess what? God's word does not return void. It does not come back to this place. It does not come back to Jesus. It does not come back to you empty or worthless or in vain. It comes back to you powerful, planting a seed, the seed being watered by the Holy Spirit and growing, and God gives the growth. The word is powerful. And also know for your own part that when you are tempted to the kind of lukewarmness from knowing what happens week in and week out at church when you're tempted to having grown up with all of this and to lose sight of the magnificence of the gospel, that that word is also still powerful. 1 John 3.20 says that if our hearts condemn us, if our emotions and our feelings about the gospel condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts. 
The God who was powerful to raise Jesus from the dead and to send that raised Jesus to James of Jerusalem and to show him his wounds so that he would come from a difficulty to hear to belief. That God is more powerful than your heart, which is also tempted sometimes to be difficult to hear. That God is more powerful than that heart. And he will send you his Holy Spirit and his Holy Spirit will set ablaze the faintly burning wick in your heart and your souls will long again for Jesus, just like James longed again for his brother who has become your brother, too. And you know that that happened when you look at James, not only in Galatians, not only in Acts, but look at what James wrote in the epistle that he wrote to the Christians in the diaspora, to the dispersion of the 12 tribes. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may become perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any one of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. James had this kind of faith that he had looked back on his life at all the trials and all the testing that he had been through up until this point, starting with growing up in the household of Jesus with a brother who never got in trouble because he never sinned. That would probably be difficult. Looking back on his life to rejecting that Jesus, looking back on his life to having to deal with this major controversy in the early church and being the guy to do it. Looking back on his life to dealing with all the unbelieving Jews in Jerusalem who had rejected their Lord and Messiah and preaching to them. Looking back at all the testing that he had gone through and saying, it's worth it. Because it brought me to faith and steadfastness. And in that faith and steadfastness, I can ask God for wisdom and he will give it to me. He went from a difficulty to hear, to belief, to preaching. And to not only a belief and preaching, but a strong belief and a strong preaching. And that brings us to imitation. For when you look at what James did... You can look, first of all, at his work in Jerusalem, despite the difficulty he went with and working with the people that he knew so close, working with these Jews who had rejected their Messiah. That's why he writes to the diaspora of the Jews throughout the whole Mesopotamian area. He works with these people. You can imitate that. You can see his care for his people. See his care for the people that he grew up like, for the people that he grew up around. See his care for the Jewish people who he is one of. That's why he does his ministry also in Jerusalem. You can imitate that. Who are your people? Who are the people who are like you? Who are the people who God has given you to minister to And to witness Christ to. Because you are a people and God has given you a people. And you can be like James who went from rejecting his own people to then preaching to his own people. You can do that for your people 
2. Bring your people to the same recognition that James had. And then finally, we can also look at his martyrdom. Josephus records in the history books that James of Jerusalem was, this is why I'm wearing red now, he was stoned to death in Jerusalem, in the place where he preached, in the place where he had his ministry, in the place where he cared about those people so much, those same Jews who rejected Jesus and killed him also rejected and killed his brother James. But recognize what James did there. Recognize his attitude and the attitude of all the martyrs, that even though he would die, yet would he live with his brother Christ. It is okay for James that he would shed his red blood because Jesus shed his red blood for him to not only become his brother by blood, but his brother by blood, if you know what I mean. And so I'm not telling you to imitate James by going out and seeking martyrdom. I don't encourage that. I don't want you to try and go get stoned to death. But I do want you to have the martyr's confidence in Christ's blood. Because James' story is your story. James' salvation in Christ alone is your salvation in Christ alone. And James' death, raised again to eternal life in Christ Jesus, is your death to be raised again, alive in Christ Jesus forever. To Christ be all the glory, now and forever. Amen.